Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. How are you? Uh, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Um, I want to, wanted to um, last episode. I just wanted to apologize a little bit, uh, just because uh, at the end, I think I think there was some artifacting, um, just because my computer, uh, sorry, my um, network um, was not up to snuff, and uh, this is just a little little inside baseball. Um, I live in a, a small apartment building in Chicago, condo building. And we're on the top floor, which is great. I love the top floor. Uh, but my uh, there's only, you know, we we have, you know, cable. And it runs through a pipe that goes through each unit below us. Okay. <clears throat> now, during the summer, I've been having intermittent um, internet trouble. And it's very, it's very strange. No this one can figure it out. It's not summer yet. Well, we've had, we've had, uh, last year, I had seven or eight texts come out and and the signal strength is great the uh normally you know if i do a speed test it's just i get you know 500 megabits per second it's nice and fast um but the uh i get crazy packet loss all the time Um, especially when it's hot if it's like a hot sunny day that's when it happens doesn't make any sense to me no one can understand the best guess is that the line that's running up from the basement it's a direct link from the street box to where it goes up through the through the units the best guess is that that particular uh piece of of uh cable is um like a just not up to code we'll say and so it's kind of close, and so normally it's good enough, but sometimes it's not. The overall result is that in order for us to get a new line put in, we'd have to coordinate with the uh, condo association. So for every single unit underneath us, at the same time, they would have to be there to open the door to allow the, 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 the cable techs to go in from the bottom, run the line, go to the you know first floor and pull it up, and then go to the next floor and pull you, you it up. You know, you know what I do when confronted with problems like this. <clears throat> Give I up? C- no. Oh. I contact the FCC. Well, no, but it's not. It's no, but see, that's the thing. No, but the thing is that if there's an official file, com- if there's an official complaint filed with the FTC, FCC. I'm sorry, not FTC. FCC, Federal Communications something. If there's an official complaint, it goes, it'll go to the top authority of any of the powers to be, and they will move heaven and earth to make it happen. I know, which is... I know what the process like. Are like the condo associate. I got to contact them, and then there's a meeting, and they have to. It's just a whole. It's a whole rigmarole. But the thing is, is that it happens so rarely, right? It's like, you know, it's really hard. That rare. Well, okay. Can I? So I tried to do a T-Mobile hotspot, and that that didn't work. That's not going to work. All right. So if you start to get weird and we can't understand you and you're breaking up, I'll let you know right away. And I would switch okay. to my mobile hotspot, which is very fast. Okay. So I just um, I just want to apologize. All right. Well, then do I get to do future. my technology complaint? This is not even what we're doing. This is not the subject of today's episode. But I want to mention my technology complaint. 
And maybe some of you guys out there will have an answer for this. Guthrie, you know what it is, right? No, I have no idea. Yes, you do. My phone won't make any outgoing calls. I can have incoming calls. Oh, I right. can use text. The weirdest thing. I can use thing. internet. But if I try and make any call to anyone right. else. This is a good one. This is I a good get, problem. I get this. Well, don't. You don't actually. Your call to. cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. No, I liked it. I wanted to do that. It was sounded so Good. neat. So uh, uh, some more information. Yeah. They have put your SIM in a different phone. They have put a different SIM in your phone. They've transferred your line to a different SIM. Uh, we've tried uh, Wi-Fi calling on, Wi-Fi calling off. Uh, they've changed every setting. They've restarted my phone. They've changed all the defaults. It's really cool. So oh, the yeah, problem really is cool. something on the on the, well, and the network other, side. The other phones on this account are perfectly fine. It's just my number that has the problem. So I, <laughs> I, I this is just a sign. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good the one. Universe that I'm not supposed to make any calls. I'm just not, I can hear from people, but I'm not supposed to call anyone. That's just what it is. I'm trying to get it resolved. You know, I have my, I have my, um, my ticket number and, uh, I call, I call periodically AT&T and have the same conversation. And then they say someone will call me back and I'm sure it'll happen in the middle of this podcast. It happens in the middle. Yeah, they call me back in the middle when I'm in the middle of a meeting or an interview or something. Yeah, if my phone... Okay, if my phone rings in the middle of this podcast and I think it's them, do I take the call? Or sure, not? I can... I can. Uh, all right, all right. We're gonna all right. What happens. So I right, now that I've apologized for that, now I also apologize for, for not phone. starting the podcast. So I know people don't like that. So I, I'm sorry... I'm just sorry. Um, so let's talk about, <laughs> let's completely start over. And all let's right. just talk let's about. Let's start all over. Hi, Guthrie. Yeah, hi. Okay. What are we what's, talking about today? Today's topic, we're talking about hypotheses. We're talking about hypotheses. We're talking about hypotheses and, and, and the value of using um, hypotheses. We're going to talk about. Within using, UX. Within, well, specifically, I want, I wanted to talk about using hypotheses for doing research so doing user UX research, research yeah doing ux research with hypotheses what and is a hypothesis a hypothesis is oh that's a good question how do you define a hypothesis you mean you i know what it is but how do i define yeah. it how would you define a hypothesis it's when you have a you state an assumption, and you actually don't know for sure whether that assumption is true or false, but you state it as an assumption, and then <clears throat> that's what you test to prove that statement as true or prove that statement as false. I mean, that's not an official. De All right, you're looking up an official definition. I, I will give you. I will give you a couple definitions. Here. Go ahead. I'm ready. Um, the simplest is a, a hypothesis is a proposed explanation for a phenomenon. Ooh. Okay. Which is okay. pretty good. That's okay. pretty good. Yeah. Um, for it to be a scientific hypothesis. Yeah. 
the scientific method requires that one can test said hypothesis. Okay. Right. right. So that's the, so, so if I say, you know, if, if I hypothesize that, you know, God is real, right. I can't test you that. You can't test so it. So that wouldn't be a scientific. So it's a hypothesis, but it's not the same as a scientific hypothesis because you okay. can't use the scientific method. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So it has to be, you know, uh, you know, the wavelength of apples are 600 whatevers, right? That is a hypothesis that I in theory even know what that means, I could test. But okay. The, the, yeah, the no. wavelength of the, the color that reflects off an apple. Okay, thank you. Um, so, uh, so that is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's good. That's is that good. good enough? That is, that is. And so, I, you know, people listening might say, who cares? What are we talking about? Here's how I think it's relevant. If you're doing user research, you're doing UX research, you know, you have a question that you want to answer. You know, I always, whenever I'm working with my clients and we're going to do user research, I always say, what is it you want to know? Um, you know, that's, that's always what I do. And so typically often people will say things like, well, we want to know what, what kind of information are people looking for when they come to the website or, uh, are, uh, do people want to engage with our app multiple times in the day or just once a day, or what's the best way to get people to come back and, uh, you know, look at their, their latest data on our app. I mean, right. These are all questions that people have. And then based on what it is they want to know or learn, then we devise the research, right? That's what we do. But you could take those questions and instead of just asking them as questions, which all the ones I gave you were questions, you could reword it so that it's a hypothesis. So I want to talk about that first and then we can talk about, well, why the heck would you go to all that trouble? So I could say, I have a hypothesis that um, that people uh, want to engage with our app uh, at least three times a day to get the latest feedback on their, their health and fitness. Or I have a hypothesis that when people come to the website, they know what kind of pet they're interested in adopting, right? So in that case, I, instead of stating it as a question, I'm actually stating it as here's my assumption and I'm going to test that assumption and prove it true or false. So now, Guthrie, I get to ask you a quiz question. Mm -hmm. What can you... Uh, tell me, what do you think might be an advantage of stating it as a, hypo a hypothesis rather than just a question? Uh, so you sound fancier. Okay. And Guthrie, <laughs> can I ask you if you have any other answers to my question? Any other, is there another advantage yeah. besides sounding fancy? There are lots of advantages to stating things a hypothesis. Why? What I think you? it is very um, cumbersome because people don't think unless you, you have, unless you have a lot of experience with it. It's not a natural 
way to think about a problem. Unless you're uh, a scientist and you're used to doing experiments. Yeah. Or an attorney is, is the other way where you, mm. you are taking a position, mm. you know, this is my position on the client and, you know, what I'm doing with my client. So it allows you to uh, remove your own bias because you are looking at a problem outside of oneself. You are, uh, you get to play devil's advocate to your own situation. Um, and it forces you in many ways, especially if you take a hypothesis that you would, you suspect is wrong, which is even more fun. It allows you to um, basically not root for an outcome because you're being forced to argue against the position that you would like to see happen. Yeah. So, it, and it's true, you know, you can state the hypothesis either way and try to prove it true or false. So, you know, you can state it as people want to, to get notifications three times a day, or you could state it as, uh, you know, people, uh, don't want to get notifications three times a day. I mean, you can, you can state or it people want to get notifications a thousand times a day, right? Something that, that is obviously, you know, highly high, high probability based on your, you know, instinct that that's wrong, but you don't know. Yeah. So I, I, the other thing I think it does, I think it forces you to be more specific about what you want to know. You know, so you could say, um, what are all the different, you know, what is the, what, what are the things that people are looking for when they come to the website, right? Which is kind of like this vague question, but now let's get more specific, right? You know, people are coming to the website in order to do this. Or, you know, people have no interest in doing this task at this particular task at the website. It just focuses you in and, and, and gets you very, very specific. And in the process of doing that, it's almost not so much the answer you get. It's that you will really surface among the team what is it you really want to learn, right? Instead of these broad strokes, and then we do this broad interview, which we might get lots of interesting information. Let's let's make sure we get answers to these five questions by stating them as hypotheses. It also makes for a wonderful, wonderful presentation. When you are doing, so I want you to imagine, Guthrie, you're meeting with these high-level stakeholders, they asked you to do this research. They maybe weren't super involved in the de designing the protocol and all that. And now you have your presentation where you're going to present to them the results of your research. And on the one hand, you could say, here are the top five things that people came to the website to do, right? And they're looking at, yeah, okay, top five things. What if you said true or false? <laughs> people come to the website to do this. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Was that true or false? And then it's like false. And it's like, whoa, really? That's not, that's false. So I think it grabs attention and, and it just gets everyone to focus. So it's just a, it's a technique I really like to use, but use, as you said, it's not common. And it takes some work ahead of time 
to formulate the hypotheses. And you sometimes people, end up, people do not like it. You don't think people like it? No. <clears throat> you mean I've watched you like- work with a I watch you work with our clients and you're like, well, let's try this as a hypothesis. And they do it. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And then they never do it again because that's it's not just, true. That's not true. It's not not always true, but it's just like a very it's like a very uncomfortable state of being. Why do you think that is? I don't find I, it uncomfortable at all. But I, I used to, I spent, you know, my graduate school and my early years as a professor doing scientific experiments like with rats and stuff so but I'm also surely that. you've felt such things before what resistance like? with people you work with this yes but i have i people resist me on two-thirds of the stuff <laughs> i'm to do so i'm used to feeling resistance oh okay um like the our stream just stopped com- stopped so I, but I thought it was because of you, because you run oh. the stream. Oh, but it's definitely not because Restream, um, uh, we all send our independent feeds to their servers and then they send the, the feed out. So, so you think it was a Restream problem? Yeah, I do. I do. All right. Okay. Where were we? We were talking You're- about why people don't like hypothesis to state yeah. things as hypotheses. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk just about some of the, um, we were talking about, yeah, we had, yeah, yeah. Someone just said, someone just said this. So I will, um, is it still frozen? Do you think? I'll check. All right. These people are writing in telling us that we're frozen, but they probably, yeah, it's cause it's probably a different stream now, right? Guthrie. Anyway, you want me to talk about research while you're doing this? No, just give me give me 10 seconds. Hold on. Okay. I have a hypothesis that streaming today is a problem. And I have evidence. Okay. It's it's uh it's at least working on oh, YouTube, so everything's someone just wrote in and said it's working. Yay, Yay, we did it. Thank you. And thank you for you guys okay. for writing. Uh, I will be let me let me check one more thing. You continue to uh, expound for a minute <laughs> or two and I will be right back because I make sure everything is working here. Okay. Well, I you know, Guthrie was just saying how people don't like do doing this. They don't like stating yeah, their really research like as a hypothesis. But I guess could we do a little brainstorm here and maybe figure out how we could get people to try it? Because I think it's uh I think it's a superior way. You know, I also want to mention um I, I all right, let's back up. I mean, obviously I'm used to hypotheses because I'm used to running experiments, and that was way before I was a consultant that what goes as I mentioned back to my graduate school days and my my professor days and when I ran experiments in the lab with mice and rats and all of that stuff. So I I was always used to it. But I kind of came back around to it. Um, I kind of forgot about it un- until maybe about, I don't know, 10 years ago when I got into the whole lean uh, process, lean startup, uh, lean UX, 
Um, because in the lean method methodology, uh, they do they use hypotheses, and that's how they decide uh, when you're doing product design. Um, you come up with a hypothesis about the product, about the users, about the feasibility, about a feature, whatever it is. You come up with a hypothesis, like, and you test a, a hypothesis one at a time. You build a prototype to test that hypothesis. Then you, then you uh, test the hypothesis. Then you learn from what you test, and then you decide on the next hypothesis to test. And when I first read about, you know, that whole lean method, as I said, it was probably about ten years ago. I. I liked it right away. And I think part of it was because it had hypotheses in it. And I was, you know, it was like, oh, I remember working with hypotheses. Now in the lean method, you're doing one hypothesis at a time. I don't, I'm not saying you, you should or have to do it that way. So um, when, when I use hypotheses in user research these days, I usually or always just about always, I'm testing more than one hypothesis at a time. So, because I'm not doing lean, the lean method, I'm just using hypotheses to define and organize my research. So, I you don't have to do just one at a time. So, typically, if you use this, you're going to have I don't know, two, three, five, ten. I think ten's a lot, but you could. I think I've done research that had 10 hypotheses that we were testing. Um, but I mean, I think if, if this is your first time doing it, I would focus on like maybe five. Now, another thing that, that does come from lean that I think applies here as well um, is I just keep, I uh, and I work with my clients to do this, a running list of hypotheses. You know, here are all the things, if we could do research forever and had an unlimited budget, here's all the hypotheses I'd like to test. And then, and, and then as, you know, now it's like, oh, let's do some research. Which hypotheses are we going to test? And the thing, okay, so here's the thing about research. <laughs> Am I just talking on and on and on? No, I it's, even I'm having fun. Coffee. You're having fun because you don't have to say anything. No, but also you're just you're you're just I rolling. I get excited. You're rolling. Um, Keep going. Okay, okay. Yeah, I just heard you snicker there. I just wondered what the snicker was for. I um, so, when you do any kind of research, not just hypothesis-based research you typically get at the end of it all, you have some answers and you have more questions. And a lot of times you have more questions than answers and that's okay. Uh, I always tell our clients that's okay. So, you know, you find the, you find out X you know, you find out that here are the top five reasons that people are coming to your website, but now, now you have more questions. <laughs> you know, something something that came up in the research is like, oh, but why is it that 
some clients are coming for this and other clients are coming for that. So you always end up with more questions. And I think it's really important to capture the questions. This is true then also of hypotheses. So if you have a set of hypotheses and you say, okay, let's test these four, let's do some research around these four, you still have the other four that you didn't do research on. And then coming out of this research you did, you're going to have more hypotheses because you'll learn. So I think you should always have a backlog of things you wish you could do research on. And then everyone can decide, you know, it'd be like, hey, we here we still have these, you know, seven hypotheses we haven't tested. So do we need to do research now? Or, you know, can we move forward with our decision-making, knowing what we know now and not knowing <laughs> these other seven things? What's the risk of that? What's the danger of that? If we move forward and make decisions with these hypotheses outstanding and we don't have answers for them, is that going to hurt us later on? I think it's a really, really well, good way to this, think about it. This is the really high level um, UX research um, thinking that you know, you're doing that I don't think most people are thinking this way. And we had a previous podcast where we talked about standard, standards and guidelines. Yeah. Um, the time organizations would save if they had a standard repository of hypotheses or even just things that are true about users. The really nice things about do, the really nice thing about doing things as a hypothesis is that you can test it and you get an answer. And then what you use that for can be used across different departments who it's are true. trying to answer different questions. So for example, let's say I have we have a hypothesis our average users are over the age of 45, right? And someone in one of the many teams doing research and whether it's the business team or the dev or the UX or whatever, they go, they do that research. They're like, actually, most of our users are between 30 and 35, right? And that is a false hypothesis. And they put that in there. The fact that, that then there is a hypothesis with an answer, any department can use that research yeah. and it could actually be useful. Um, we have had, we have clients where um, they're, I mean, the, I, I remember uh, there's one client in particular, they didn't even, they were a really, really large company, but they were so large, they didn't even realize that we had done work with a diff, there was the exact same work was being done By in a different, a different department, in a different group within the same company. And they both reached out to hire us because, to you know, completely separately. They had no idea we were already a vendor. Um, but I think, I think uh, a lot, I think a lot of organizations are not sophisticated enough or together cross department, cross department. That requires a corporate level of organization that most companies do not have don't that have. sophistication sophistication for. But um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go ahead and do the research and collect and store the data. No, but then what do you you know? It, it, I get it, and this is just a bigger question, right? How do you how do you when you do research? How do you save it? How yeah. do you ma maintain it? When people leave, how do you make sure that yes. that knowledge, subject matter knowledge doesn't disappear with them? I mean, we have a question from LinkedIn here that I'll put up on the screen. 
Um, yeah, what is the question? Do you not see it? Yeah, but I thought we'd read it out loud. Oh, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense for people listening to the podcast. How should we keep track of all the questions we get while testing all the hypotheses? Because the questions will keep increasing. Right, right. Uh, you know, I've you can do it any way you want. You you have a you have some kind of kanban. You have a spreadsheet. Database. You have a database. You have a mural board. Uh, just it's capture it somewhere. Yeah, I mean it's best if it's in a format that other people can can easily get to. And then what you can do, you know, as if you have this running list, right? Um, then you can prioritize or, or just go pick which ones we're going to do. And then, you know, I suggest, along with what Guthrie was just saying, that when you get an answer, this hypothesis is true, this hypothesis is false, you note that with the particular, you know, research or date of the research or person who did the research or link to the research. You know what's really funny? What? There are some sections of business that do such a phenomenal some business departments in organizations that do such an amazing job with this so think of the marketing department right or where they have like this like the cms yeah um or the uh the you know like the sale like salesforce right yeah in the the sales department where they have like the leads not a month goes by, right? Which Everything they is know, tracked. Oh, you've changed Every, jobs. This email address right. doesn't work. Last oh, this time is we the new phone number. This person was. They have. We contacted them during this campaign. This time. Every email is emails. linked to each, like each thing. And, you know, you just go in and there's a perfect list and you can sort and you can see all the right. connections and all the other yeah. things. And, oh, they yeah. were, they did this product and then they did this product. And then right. they, they open this email for two seconds. Like they has all the information right. perfectly in there, completely up to date. Nothing, uh, things sunset automatically if they're too old. If they get too old, it's flagged. Yes. It's like, oh, this you better make sure that this contact is like still in the system. And they just do an incredible job. And then if you walk over to like the UX department and they're like, we're doing research, there's nothing. It is like, no like, tools, like, no tracking. Someone had an Excel doc in their personal OneDrive Somebody folder six years ago. Cable in a Miro board. <laughs> Try and go one of the mirror, which but there were like four versions and it's and it's just and it's just nothing. So it's really incredible that some. Th so does. these are these are problems in which there are solutions because yes. other departments tackle them in much more sophisticated ways and they do an amazing job. It um, is a but, question of importance to the organization, and so are people putting money. And, and time and resources towards it. You know, uh, if if you said to the sales department, you know, we don't think it's worth it to track this anymore, right? I mean, that probably wouldn't, they, they'd probably. I have a suspicion. That. I wonder if you could even hack. I mean, hack is not the right word, but, you know, um, you know, convert a, uh, sort of a, a sales uh, there's repository probably, there is to, probably to a Salesforce app that you could use to do this. I'm sure. I'm sure there's they definitely ways to do it. It's pipe just, drive. We use pipe drive. Yeah, it's just a question of 
you know, who's going to keep all the data in there? Who's going to put the new data in? Who's going to maintain it? Who's yeah. going to, you know, who's going to use it and look things up? I just think it's a question of, you know, how, how important is this? And, and, uh, I, you know, where, you know, where the next, um, example of tracking this kind of stuff might come from, uh, it's the data science group in right. your organization yep. that's doing like machine learning because, you know, oh, they have what, such a cool pro like uh, so many organizations. They, oh, with the, 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 each little, we, there was, there was a quarter second ping in Indonesia yes, that yes. caused a spike in this. And but the thing is the machine learning people are doing hypotheses and doing hypothesis testing they're now they're not doing it in the same topics and questions and hypotheses that we would have for ux research sure. but they're tracking hypotheses and whether they're true or not i mean they're doing it so, is this picture an apple or not an apple that's right that's that's how they you know no, they, as training a, their neural network the, this picture well as a hypothesis it would be this picture is an apple right true or false so they're tracking it. And with what confidence? So like if you have if you have like facial detection software, it doesn't know that it's a face, but you can, you know, you the model will say, you know, you have to turn the thing on where it's in the corner. It's like right. a 75% accuracy, a 80% accuracy. Right, oh, that's right. a half the head. It's 50-50. They don't right, know. Right, right. Might be, you know, it's a so, banana. So we accuracy. know the software is there. But... Well, but is it used for that? There are it's not used. Some, some some something could be used. People are doing more sophisticated things than keeping track of some simple headers. Yes, what we want research. is quite simple. What we want is quite simple. But is is there enough interest in you know the asking these questions about customers and users and user experience? is I don't think is seen as being important enough by the people who get to decide what's important. And I don't think they're all that interested in getting answers to the hypotheses, although obviously I think they should be. And I don't think they're all that interested in tracking and reusing this data across the organization. I don't think they get it. I don't think they see it. So yeah. That's that's why it's not happening. Gather, I don't know what to do about that problem. That's like a whole nother episode. Why doesn't anyone care what we're doing? Because <laughs> um, it I doesn't think... bring in money directly. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the and and scene. Right. That's the. Yeah. That's yeah. A that short can... episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the 10 the 10 second podcast episode why doesn't anyone in the organization care because it doesn't bring in money okay next week we're going to talk about directly bringing money but yeah directly bringing money it does bring in money That's or it saves fun. money but yeah people don't if it didn't money. they wouldn't be doing it right but i do but regardless of all those problems <laughs> i do think that if you are doing UX research, I think you should try it out. I think you should experiment. And, you know, here's the thing. You can combine it with the regular kinds of questions you ask. There's nothing that says, when I do this next piece of 
UX research, I have to do it either as, quote, regular questions, unquote, or as hypotheses. No, you can experiment. Try it out. Next time you're doing research, throw in one thing you want to know written as a hypothesis. Just try it and see what you think and see what it's like and see what the conversation with the team is like as you're coming up with it and see what the conversation is like as you get your answer. Just, I would say, just try it out. If you haven't tried it out before, just try it out because I think it's interesting and I think it's kind of fun and I think it will lend a, a level of depth and sophistication and fanciness, as you said, Guthrie to your research. That's what I think. I'm going to hypothesize that this podcast episode will come to an end soon. I'm going to hypothesize that uh, uh, here's a hypothesis to test because I don't know what, what the answer is, that this will be one of our most popular episodes. And then we can find out. We can I'm get going to hypothesize <laughs> that not only will this become one of our most popular episodes, but yes. it will lead to us becoming fabulously independently wealthy. We can, we can we will te test, that. test that. Although in order to test that, I think we'd have to um, be a little more specific about what fabulously independently wealthy means. Oh, that's a good question. I would say what, uh, like a hundred million a, a piece. Okay. So the dollars? hypothesis is that after this, see, this is this is a great example because now we have to I get know. specific. I did this on purpose. You did not. Now we have to get, get specific. The hypothesis is that within what time span? We got to be specific. Not uh, after. Uh, one year. Within months. one year of this episode airing, airing, both Guthrie and Susan will, what? Have net worths. Have net worths. Of over. Of over. 100 million US dollars. There you go. We're we'll, te we'll test it we're out. We're going to test this hypothesis. I wonder what's going to happen. Uh, uh, yeah. I wonder. I don't wonder that much, but we can wonder if that's what you'd like to do. <laughs> All um, right. Guthrie, what else is going on and what's coming up and... I guess, no, I, I, yeah, there is stuff so. coming up. There is. I just I wanted to, yeah, I, uh, there might be, uh, there might be a couple conferences we might be speaking at. No, um, there is a conference I am speaking at. Right. I'm speaking at the BAD conference, which is not mm. bad at all, but I think Stan, behavioral, behavioral action design, behavioral action design conference, sure. which is actually uh, happening both in person and virtually. And it's at the same time in, we're very close to the same dates in London. I'm attending virtually because uh, I can't travel that week because it conflicts with something else. But um, that's May. My talk is May 17th. Uh, if you want to check, it's on the science of decisions. If you want to check out the bad conference, um, you might want to check that out because uh, we've, we've spoken at that conference before. Um, and it's, it's a really good one. Lots of good talks. So that's coming up. You got any other announcements for people? Um, yeah, uh, I guess, uh, 
Oh, we do. Have, we'll get, we have. We have. We have one more question. Um, I should just say it. Happy, uh, happy four twenty to everyone out there. If you have um, uh, coming up in the next couple months, we may be a little busy. We that are. Would be May and June, so we'll see. We we'll are. see. There may be some gaps in in the in the old uh, podcast schedule. We may have some problems with some Wednesdays. Yeah. Um. We have, uh, we'll, we'll keep, we are looking, uh, we are always looking for um, people to apply for uh, contractor roles. Yeah, have that's a good thing. Two. Especially, um, we have a particular request, which is just a little hard to fill right now for more senior people. Um, that's sort of up to our clients, but uh, so if you are, if you are more senior. So if there, if people are in, interested in applying for our contract positions, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, they can just email me or if they can get to, um, you know, I have links, I think on our LinkedIn where we, where I have the job posting or just email me and I can, I can get, I can get it there. Okay. And we do have, we do have a quick, oh, what were you going to say? The email address is? Oh, info at the teamw.com. Okay. Uh, I do have uh, one more quick question. Yeah. Um, you want to read it? Is it okay to have an unrealistic hypothesis? Should we eliminate any hypothesis just by evaluating it ourselves? Uh, I think, well, it's interesting. It depends on what you mean by unrealistic. So again, remember when you at, when you word your hypothesis, you can word it in the positive or the negative uh, and then prove it either true or false. I would, you know, I, I wouldn't have any hypotheses that we don't really care about knowing the answer to, or we all, you know, we already know in the last research we did, we answered the question about whether everyone was over 45 years old. Um, so, you know, let's not ask it again. So, but, uh, you know, so I guess it depends what unrealistic means, but if it is something you truly want to know, uh, you know, the, uh, and the other thing that you, you should do hypothesis testing on is all the assumptions, not all, but the important assumptions that that everyone thinks you don't have to research because we all know it to be true. Those are the ones I <laughs> I really like to test because it's like, okay, why do we know that's true? Oh, well, you know, we just know that, okay, like where's the data for that? So, you know, is that unrealistic? I don't know, probably not. I guess there are certain... You could. There are certain hypotheses. You, you could mean do. like so, the one we did about? Yeah. No. But but like you know that's all serious. In all seriousness, you can you can do that. But it's then very quickly to, uh, you can you can look at some. I would say ancillary data, to say well not well we can't you know rule that out. It's preeminently unlikely. Yes. Um, based on the number of people who have that amount of wealth in the United States, and based on our. The, the you know we you, we could have a confidence interval for the range of uh, yeah. podcast listens and potential outcomes that that it would have uh, that that posting a podcast would have and none of that gets to the tier of becoming independently wealthy with one yes. podcast and so, so while while you can't well no and so so there's you know there are hypotheses that are easy to test hypotheses that are hard to test and hypotheses that um that are you know potential potentially are like possible but so unlikely you know that that it's you know it's just a matter of whether i'll put it this way if you are uh if you are if you're selling like a mobile app okay that's one level of like like having a certain confidence interval 
about whether things or things may things may or may not happen is one level. If you are in OSHA talking about, you know, if you like you, you work with dangerous chemicals, right. And you are, you know, trying to determine the, you know, potential, potential that there could be negative side effects of any of the things that you do in your entire chain, right? That's a different level of uh, confidence interval that that's acceptable. So it's possible that in an organization, even if anything's like, well, if it's less than 10% probable, we'll just put it in the, we probably don't need to do research about that. Like, like maybe that it's, we have enough data to determine that it's preeminently unlikely um, and, and you can sort of put it into the, well, maybe do if we have nothing else going on category. Um, yeah, it just depends I, on it your depends organization. On, right. But I think it is an important point that, you know, you know, you probably have a limited time and budget for research. So, you know, you're going to want to do research on the hypotheses that are going to yield you the most important information for the decisions you need to make moving forward. Yeah. So, so it's a combination of what's really important to you. Yes. A combination of how, you know, potentially, if you have any data supporting how likely an event may or may not occur. Yes. Right. Uh, or may or may not be true, you know. Yes. So, for example, we think, you know, we hypothesize the majority of our users are over the age of 45. Um, so there's two. So one is we have no data. We just think that's the case. Well, then that's more likely that you should investigate. Two, well, we did a we did a Google survey, and most of the people said that their data was over forty five. Well, we have so that is a data point that would seem to indicate that that is true. But maybe if that's an important assumption about our target audience, we right. should make sure and right. actually go do some more research. But right. you know, but it's like, well, okay, we did that, but then there's we did like, you know, this other piece of research, and it also suggested the same thing. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that you've proved it to be true, but now that's another sort of data point that says that hypothesis is likely true. That's, yeah. that's you know, so, so it's just about what your confidence interval yeah. is. So, okay. Let's all right, up. Guthrie, I think we're done for today. Thank you yep, so sorry much. Sorry for all the tech stuff as always, yeah. you know, but that's eh, whatever. We'll just keep, we'll just keep at it. All right. Not Thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.